Hello, here on Search for Truth Radio, we're six weeks into our Bible series called Our God Reigns, which are studies relating to the awesome sovereignty of God. Our Bible teacher is Brian Johnston, and his title for today's study is When God Awakes. I'll leave Brian to explain what he means by that, because as you may be well aware from Psalm 121, God does not sleep. Bible references are mainly from the Old Testament and the book called Romans in the New Testament, if you want to follow in your Bible. But now, let's go to Brian. Thanks, John. I'm reminded of a day recorded in the Bible when a young man was sent by his father on an errand to look for some lost donkeys. Totally unsuspecting, for little did he know, but he would be anointed as the first king of Israel before he returned home. The Bible book of Proverbs says, you do not know what a day may bring. That was true of Saul that day. In the historical psalm, that is Psalm 78, the psalmist writes about God leading the Israelite people through the desert, guiding them like a flock. Often the people rebelled in the desert when they forgot the mighty works that had demonstrated God's power in the land of Egypt. Next up, the psalmist goes on to write about the conquest of the land in Psalm 78. That didn't turn out too well either. Listen from verse 59. God was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent which he had pitched among men, and gave up his strength to captivity and his glory into the hand of the adversary. He also delivered his people to the sword and was filled with wrath at his inheritance. His priests fell by the sword. Yes, God was angry and caused Shiloh to be plundered. The Ark of the Covenant was captured too. Many people were killed at that time, including the priests, Hophni and Phinehas. The battle at Aphek was a particular low point even by the standards of the very patchy history of God's Old Testament people. But then the same psalm, Psalm 78, tells us that this happened. It's verse 65. Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior overcome by wine. He drove his adversaries backward. He put on them an everlasting reproach. He also rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. Doesn't that just grab our attention? The writer describes the Lord's intervention as being, figuratively speaking, like a mighty man awakening after having been put to sleep by wine. He woke up, rose up, and saved his people from their enemies. But then he rejected the tents of Joseph, the tribe of Ephraim, representing the northern tribes, and chose Zion, down south in Judah, for the location of his sanctuary. He also chose the shepherd boy, David, to be his king. Disbelief and disobedience by God's people, Israel, 
had led to their disastrous defeat at the Battle of Afek, but it was to mark the turning point of the way that would lead to a new sanctuary and a new king to lead the people. In the picture language the psalmist gives of God arousing himself as a mighty man refreshed by sleep and wine and shouting for the battle, there's poetic license in the use of human language to describe God's actions. For God never sleeps. His control of human affairs is continuous. God's sovereign superintendence is at times hard to detect. At other times, it's dramatic. But his activity is constant. There are periods in which his hand can't be seen in human affairs, when he seems to be indifferent to the interests of his people, as though he was sleeping. However, at those times, the continuous operation of God's rule is simply not being appreciated by us. For a time, God appeared to resign his control of Israel's affairs and to surrender them to their enemies. Now that his hand is again visibly active, the poet pictures him as a mighty warrior arousing from slumber, refreshed by sleep and wine, and shouting with a desire to battle with his foes. What did this awakening mean for Israel? In part, at least, it was a spiritual awakening in the life of David. God deposed Ephraim from the priority that tribe had previously held. Instead, he selected Judah to become the location of his sanctuary. Within its territory on Mount Zion, the sanctuary or temple was established and the seat of government placed. And out of Judah, King David was chosen. He was the leader who finally and decisively captured Jerusalem after some previous false dawns during Israel's early history in their promised land. All this was in line with God's sovereign purposes. The supremacy of Judah had been predicted by Jacob long before. From that tribe, the Messiah was to come. Another psalm, Psalm 68, captures a sense of surprise at God's choice of Zion, a seemingly lesser mountain. Verse 15 says, A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. Equally surprising was God's selection of David to be king. The psalm we read says he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. Again, a remarkable example of divine sovereignty. God chooses a man of humble position to fill the most exalted position. David was even overlooked by his own father. It's as if he was a nobody at home, not given much esteem, but left with the job of caring for the sheep. He was bred not a scholar, not a soldier, but a shepherd. He was chosen not for his appearance or position, but for his ability and character. This was a setting for God revealing something characteristic of his methods to Samuel, the prophet sent to anoint the teenage David. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But as a shepherd, David had excelled. He was no hireling. He'd risked his own life to defend some members of his flock. He seems to have been particularly careful of the ewes with suckling lambs. 
having been faithful and gentle in his lowly sphere, God raised him to the honour and responsibility of the throne. Later, Jesus would use a parable to teach that those who prove themselves faithful in small matters will be among those whom God will promote to higher responsibilities. God's sovereignty shows his wise attention to detail. The tabernacle and afterwards the temple was the most important thing in the land, certainly as far as God was concerned. God established his sanctuary at Zion. It wasn't to be removed from there as it had been taken from Shiloh. The temple of God on Mount Zion at Jerusalem, the royal city, was to be a permanent institution. It's noteworthy that the building of the temple sanctuary is attributed to David here. He definitely had a desire to do so and make preparations for it, as well as receiving the plan for it. But his son and successor, Solomon, was his agent in constructing it. And so by the hand of David's son, the tabernacle gave place to its magnificent successor, the temple, which remained with varying fortunes until it too came to an end as a result of human failure by David's successors. David's time on the throne was a blessing to Israel. It's refreshing to read he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skilful hands. There was no abuse of power. His administration was without corruption and greatly benefited the people under him. During his reign, the kingdom became prosperous to an extent unknown before. In choosing a king for them, God's sovereignty was for his people's prosperity. And David's example shows the truth recorded in the book of Daniel, where we read, The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. This agrees with what the prophet Isaiah says. In Isaiah 40 and verse 23, He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless, because this is God's work. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 13 and verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. God's purposes cannot be defeated by political campaigns. God's purposes cannot be overthrown by the ballot box or even by force of arms. The Council of Gamaliel could be applied as a warning against political activism. He said, if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. In concluding, let's come back to God's choice of David. Psalm 89 is another psalm that stresses God's intervention in human affairs. Verse 19 says, I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's certainly good news for Christians, for God's choice of David began a dynasty with eternal consequences. We read at the beginning of Romans, the gospel of God 
which he promised beforehand concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David. I remind you each time that these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. And here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wharton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Well, it's been a pleasure to enjoy your company today. Thanks for being with us. I hope to see you again next time for week seven of this series. Brian will bring the scriptures to bear on the issue which brings difficulty and discomfort to many people today. The issue is, why does God allow suffering and injustice to continue in the world? But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you.